guys, we're wrapping up the series, uh, so it's kind of an exciting day. One, we're closing down a series we've been studying all of, all of January, and then we're going to turn around and we're getting kind of amped up for the next series. Next month, starting next Sunday, we're going to be starting a series, Know Your Enemy. We're going to talk about four different aspects of the devil. He's a liar, he's a tempter, he's an accuser, and he's a deceiver. Four weeks, we're going to be talking and studying and learning about our enemy and how he tries to impact our life with those things. But we are going to finish this week, I Am a Disciple. Uh, today's message is sent to share. It's the final one. You can kind of see uh, there at the bottom where we are called to follow, appointed to represent, equipped to serve, and now we're sent to share. This is the model that Jesus gave to us. We're, we're literally taking from Jesus and what He did with the apostles and started off with calling them out of a boat to follow Him all the way to where He's sending them out to preach this week. So what we've done is we've looked at a, a just a, a, a general look at what His is. So we are in Luke chapter 9. The first thing that we need to do is get the setting. So one of the things that I like to do um, is often talk about um, the setting. Uh, and so... Hoping that I maybe not press hard enough on that. Sometimes, uh, there we go. Okay, so Luke chapter 9, verses 51. So this is uh, setting the stage for what we're going to be studying. So, at that time, or as time approached for him, that's Jesus, to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So Jesus has got his focus. He's headed wherever he starts out. He's now got his mindset. He's got his map out and he is following the directions all the way to Jerusalem. That's what he set out to do. And he sent messengers ahead of him. Okay, So he's sending out messengers and who went out into Samaritan villages. So where he's at on the journey towards Jerusalem is in the Samaritan area. Samaritans <clears throat> were really despised by the Jews, and therefore because the Jews despised the Samaritans, in return the Samaritans despise the Jews. Uh, in case you don't know what a Samaritan was, a Samaritan was half of a Jew and half of a non-Jew. So what the Jews hated was in their mind, they're looking at this as uh, from a really a racist perspective of saying you're watering down our race. And they hated them for it. On the other side, the Samaritans, you know, they hated them because they were hated by them. So there was this, this disdain for Samaritans among the Jews and the, and, and the Samaritans for the Jews and the Jews for the Samaritans. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. That's what I wanted you to understand there. So Jesus is coming to Samar Samaria, the Samaritan villages, and they did not welcome him because they knew where he was headed. Next verse. When the disciples James and John saw this, so they saw that Jesus not being welcomed by these, these villages. Do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? They're insulting you, Jesus. They're, you know, how, how many times? Okay, so let's put the fire part of this down just for a moment, right? Let's say somebody you really, really, really respected. You just loved this person. You respected them to the highest place that you could respect them, right? And then somebody was completely insulting them, right? Don't you want to do something? I mean, for example, if somebody insulted my wife, my blood starts to boil. 
Like the pastor hat's about to come, down, come off and I'm going to drop kick you up against the wall, you know. Do one of those, this is Sparta kind of thing. One of those kicks, you know, into a bottomless pit. Don't insult my wife, you know. So that kind of a thing, you know. But, but so what I'm wanting you to understand is they, they love Jesus and they're like, hey, this isn't right. These people, right, these people are insulting you. This, is, this shouldn't be. You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. You've been healing people. You're giving free life. You are, you are saving souls, and they're insulting you. You know what? This is not right. Let's call down fire from heaven. And see, they didn't say, Jesus, you do this. They said, we'll do this for you. <laughs> right? Do you want, Jesus, do you want us to call down some fire? So you start thinking about this. You know, why do they? One of the things that I started thinking of is, who gave them the authority and the power to do this to begin with? So we're going to back up, and I'm going to show you something at the very beginning of chapter 9. So right now we're in 9.54. We're going to go to 9.1 and 2. Jesus had called the 12. This includes uh, James and John. And when he called the 12, he gave them power and authority. So they're not acting with something they don't have. They might just be misusing what they've been given. Right? Come on. Are you listening? You got your ears on. I can't repeat that. I don't even remember what I said, but I know it was good. All right? Okay? All right. So, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and cure diseases. Right? And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. So, Jesus is the one who gave them the power and the authority. But one of the things we need to realize is this Jesus gives us power, he gives us authority, but for what purpose? See, it's not for the purpose of what James and, and John want. It's not for that purpose. He gave them the purpose. The purpose I highlighted in yellow to preach the gospel, to heal, to, to cure diseases, to drive out the demons, not to burn people to death. You see, what happens is they're completely missing what the, what the power and authority that Jesus gave. They're still in training, guys. They're still learning. But they completely lost and missed the purpose of what God was doing. When He gave them power and authority, it was so that they could drive out demons, cure diseases, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is not bringing fire down to consume a city. So... The, is there a desire in line with the purpose and the power given? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. How do you think that Jesus responded to their zealous request, right? How do you, how do you think, you know, hey, Jesus, let us burn them. We'll bring fire down and we're going to, we're burning the whole city down. There's sometimes you ever, you know, there's always that phrase I, I, I once in a while say, I'm so mad right now I could burn somebody's house down. Has anybody ever used that, or am I the only one that uses it? Oh, great. Pastor Paul's shaking his head. He's like, no, why did you do Never mind. My bad. Okay, I guess I'm the... I'll be, I'll be at the altar later. <laughs> if you want to know where I'm going to be in a little bit, and you know now, know why, because uh, I thought about burning a house down. Not your house, but uh, it could have been. Unless you, if you insulted my wife, I probably thought about... I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. All right, moving along. All right, so... So we're getting back to this setting, all right? So in 54, so, so these are what the disciples are saying. Hey, Lord, do you want us to call down? We have the, remember you gave us power and you gave us authority. Do you want us to do this? This is how Jesus responded. But Jesus turned and rebuked them and then they went to another. He, he, so here's the thing is they're defending him. 
Have you ever, ever had to correct somebody that they thought they were doing you a favor by, by, by sticking up for you and then they, they, they miss the whole purpose of what you're doing to begin with? Somebody insults the church and all of a sudden, I, you know, they're now cussing at that person because they insulted the church that you love. Hey, you're missing the purpose of the church. We're going to get insulted. We're going to get spit at. We're going to get stomped on. I mean, we're going to get dirty. People are going to say bad things. But we, don't have, we, we can't lose sight of the mission of God. And, and at that moment, these disciples, his own students, lost vision of God's purpose. Have you ever done that? Have you ever lost sight of God's purpose? Right? Come on. So don't, don't, you know, don't throw rocks at these disciples. They're, they're, they're wanting to defend their Lord. But they lost purpose. And so he rebuked them. <laughs> rebuked them. Stop it. This isn't what we're here to do. And then they went to another village. Now here's the deal. We get into chapter Luke 9, verse 57. Now we begin to see he's, he's traveling. So while traveling, this is going to be really fun. Jesus comes into contact with three what I call would-be followers. And here's what I want us to do. As we look at these three would-be followers, I want you to begin to ask yourself, do I have any of these same tendencies in my life? Because a lot of times we look at this like, wow, that knucklehead. But here's the thing is you're going to see Jesus have some sharp reactions to their words. And you're like, wow, that request really seemed reasonable. And Jesus was kind of harsh. So I, I want you to understand that, that something that we need to take note of is that Jesus sees right through every one of us. He knows your heart when I may not. You may say something with your mouth that sounds perfectly fine, but he sees right through all of it and knows exactly what's in your heart. Right? So when he responds to these guys, he's responding to what's in their way of truly being a follower of Christ. In the same way, I'm wanting us to, if we're going to finish this right, we need to begin to ask the same kind of questions. Lord, is there anything in my heart, is there anything in the way of me truly, I mean truly following you? Are we open for Christ to tell and reveal us what's in the way? Because that's what happened here, is he completely was transparent and he completely revealed to each one of these would-be followers what's in the way between them and him and truly being a follower. Alright, so be ready, get ready. Alright, here we go. The first would-be follower, Luke 9, 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, so this man approaches Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Here I am, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, one of the things that I do is I often ask a lot of questions as I read. And the reason why I've put these questions is I'm, I'm, I'm kind of letting you in on how I study the Bible. That's why we have a lot of slides and I do this because I'm wanting, as I'm reading things, all these questions, and I write them on a notebook, and I'm like, why am I keeping that to myself? Why don't I just let people know how weird my brain is to begin with? And you could be a part of this journey. But also, I want to encourage you that as you read, ask questions. That's the beauty of it that's what when you ask a question now you want the answer now you're going to study so I, I started thinking well here's a guy i will follow you wherever i go did jesus ever say hey this is a this is a, a club that you haven't paid your dues for so you can't you can't follow me down the road is it a, a blocked off road did jesus say hey uh four and no more i mean jesus didn't do that if they wanted to walk down the road they were free to walk down the road if they wanted to follow jesus from village to village Who's, who's going to stop them from walking down the road and following to the next village? 
In fact, when we first started this study and we looked at the second part where we were appointed to represent, didn't he have a whole bunch of disciples? And out of all of the disciples, he chose out of them 12? Well, those guys were still following him around. In fact, we're about to meet him in chapter 10. So what I'm wanting you to say, I'm sitting here going, well, can't anyone follow Jesus? Can you follow Jesus? Right? Can't you follow Jesus? Is he going to say, no, you can't follow me? Only Garrett can follow me. No. If you want to follow Jesus, follow. So I'm sitting here going, so what's stopping the man? Why does he need to come up and say, Jesus, I will follow you? Unless there's something that maybe he's wanting to, you know, is, is there maybe something going on here that I can't see? Well, Jesus responds to him in verse 58. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That doesn't make, when I was reading this, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Why is he saying this? The guy didn't say about what hotel are you staying in. But see, Jesus looks right through. The man's like, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus knows what's in this man's heart, and he's going to cut right to the trace. Kind of like the, the phrase that I have listed up here. We seem to start having excuses when the rubber meets the road, right? I'll follow you, but based upon my conditions that I'm putting this on. How many times do we place conditions on God? Well, I'll follow you, God. I'll go to church, God. And then we start putting our expectations of God. We got this all backwards. He's God, and I should be just glad that I get to go anywhere. Show up and do anything. So... I will follow as long as I am comfortable. See, Jesus went straight to this, foxes have holes, so they have somewhere to stay. Birds of the air have nests. They have somewhere to go. Son of man has no place to lay his head. I don't know where I'm going. You want to follow me, I don't know where I'm going. Hey, I, I can relate as a pastor of this church. I can relate. I don't know where we're going. We're just going this direction. Right, Pastor Paul? <laughs> so, so here's the thing, guys. I mean, what's so remarkable is that he is cutting straight to the chase. I don't know the man's heart, but Jesus did, and he's saying, listen, it ain't going to be comfortable. I don't have a place. There's going to be a rock for my pillow tonight. I don't know what town I'm going. I don't know who's going to accept us. You're welcome to follow, but I don't know where we're going, and I don't know where we're staying. So if it's about being comfortable, you're going to have a hard time following Christ. Truly following Christ. See, a lot of times people go to church as long as they don't get their toes stepped on. They'll go to church until the preacher talks about money. They'll go to church until they're asked to do something. They'll go to church. So what happens is we're like that guy. We're like the would-be follower. God, I'm going to go until it gets uncomfortable. Until the preacher says, hey, let's go knock on some doors. Let's go share our faith. I'll go as long as it's comfortable. Also, I'll serve as long as there's something for me in this. What am I going to get out of this? A lot of times people would follow a teacher, a rabbi, so that they could get ahead. And he's saying, there's no prestige where I'm going. There's no hotels. There's no five-star hotels where I'm going. There's no steak dinners in for me. We're going to be hungry, and we're going to sleep outside, and we're going to show up at a town at night, and they're going to reject us, and we're going to sleep outside the city gates on the ground, in the rain, in the cold. 
So if you're looking for comfort, you're looking for prestige, this ain't it. Second would-be follower, Luke 59. Jesus then said, so the first man approaches him. Now he says to a man, he says, follow me. But the man replied. So here's Jesus inviting. Hey, we're walking down there. Hey, follow me. Man says, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Now, I think that's a pretty reasonable request. Wouldn't you? Sounds pretty reasonable. I'm sitting here thinking, because I already know what he says, and if you have your Bible open, you already do too, and you're like, whoa, Jesus, that's really cold. But again, Jesus sees right through the man. Right? When you read the, when you read the statement, and I'm not, we're going to get there, but I'm wanting, Jesus already, he knows what's in the heart. So I, I started having to ask a couple of questions. So here's the thing. I started a couple of questions that we need to, so we need to keep the context in mind. But here's the thing. If the, man's fa- if, the, if the man's father was really dead at this moment, why isn't he bearing him now? Okay, come on, right? You, you think about this. This isn't, this isn't uh, there, there is no morgue, there is no embalming, there's no way to preserve anything. You're in the first century. You don't have much time. You've got to pretty much do this immediately. And so what I'm wanting you to understand is if this father is actually dead right now, he wouldn't be there. Let's say that maybe his father is greatly ill, then why isn't he asking for healing? Everybody knew that Jesus healed. See, that's why we ask questions. Because you start saying, well, why is he here following Jesus from village to village if his father is deceased over there or if he's greatly ill, why is he not by his side? Unless you're coming to get the master healer to come heal. You see what I'm getting? So then it begins to say, okay, Lord, I got to dig deeper. I got to figure out what's the cultural context. What's first century like, right? So here in this culture, a son would live on the farm or whatever his father's business was, would serve his father. And when his father then did finally die off, he then inherited the farm. Right? So, when you inherit the farm, now by that point, you've got sons and daughters, right? To run the farm. Now you have time. God, I'll follow you. You know, I want to follow you. But right now, i got to get my career stable. I got to get to this place in my life where um, I'm freed up to serve you. I want to follow you, but right now I am I am the heir apparent of this this operation. And when I'm the when I'm the boss, I'll have other people to do my work for me, and then I'll come follow you. You see what I'm saying? See, Jesus looks right through the whole thing, and he he makes a makes a comment. Let the dead bury their own dead. That seemed pretty cold if you don't think about anything, right? If I would have just read that, you would have been like, whoa, very insensitive, right? Wouldn't you? But see, he's saying, let the dead bury, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. See, he knows the exact state of his father. He knows the exact state of what's going on. He's saying, listen, you need to get kingdom minded rather than earthly minded. And you need to understand, you know what's the most important? is the spiritual 
the spirituality of somebody. Because he's saying, let the dead bury their own dead. He's not being rude or being mean. What he's saying is, let, listen, everyone on this earth, and I'm not trying to be insensitive, especially in the time as this, but here's the thing, every one of us will at some point take our last breath. At some point we will. When that happens, eternity begins for us. This is temporary. This is temporal. Do you know how many people will let somebody that is sick or aging that they know is headed on a one-way ticket to hell and they won't say nothing because they're so afraid of, that, afraid of that person not being their friend anymore or hating them, and so they won't do the most important thing in this world to do. He's saying, listen, people are going to die. Things are going to happen in this world. You proclaim the kingdom of God. Because when that person on earth dies, there is a kingdom of heaven waiting or an eternal damnation of hell waiting. There is no other choice. Purgatory does not exist. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So many times we're earthly minded rather than heavenly minded. Our priorities get so easily out of whack, don't they? It doesn't take long for our priorities to get mixed up. A priority is something regarded as more important than another. The, 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 you know the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, right? So anytime something begins to take a precedence over that, my priority is out of whack. So let me give you an example, and I will use myself. Everyone probably in this church knows I love hunting. I have a really nice bow, I have nice tree stands, I like the newest whatever's coming out hunting thing. I love it. That's, I, I love it. Now, if all of a sudden I am putting all my time and all of my financial resources, right, my time, my resources, all into this hobby, I'll just say it what my wife would say, my hobby, and I don't now have resources and time so when, when God looks at it and says, wow, you haven't spent any time with me, and yet you've been in the tree stand. You haven't, spent, you haven't, you haven't been giving in the offering plate because you wouldn't had to go buy this new thing. Well, so that's personal to me. What about our phones? So does God get the best of your first, or does He get your leftovers? In the Old Testament, when they, that was where the, the main teaching for like tithing came, it was the best of your first fruits. Okay, so the, the harvest would start and they would take the best of the first of the harvest. They're not guaranteed any other harvest. They're not guaranteed that the backfields won't burn or a storm won't come or locusts won't destroy it. What they say, God, this is the first of all of our pasture and not just the first of it, this is the best of my first and I'm giving it to you. Does God get the best and the first of your time? Or does He get after you've already checked all your notifications, already looked at your phone, already put on a video, or you already did this? Is He getting the best of your first? Or is He getting the leftovers of your life? You see, that's the priority issue. You see, there is a comfort. God, I'll do this as long as I'm comfortable. But there's also, God, you're the number one priority in my life. 
So what takes priority in your life? You know it's easy. What gets your time? What gets your money? What gets your talent? Is that God? Your career? Your phone? Even your kids? I've seen people almost worship their kids. The Bible says, I'll get there later. I don't want to start preaching that. Let's go to the third would-be follower. Luke chapter 9, verse 61. Still another said, I will, I love this, I will follow you, but first. Come on, that's, I mean, I'm like, this, this preaches it's all by itself. i like, wow, this is like the easiest verse to ever preach on. Lord, I'll follow you, but first. Don't we do that all the time? Lord, I'll follow you, but first, I need to get this job. Lord, I'll give, but first, I need this raise. God, I'll serve, but I first... So what we do is this. When we start saying, I will, but first, what you're doing is trying to blackmail, you're trying to strong arm, you're trying to manipulate the king of the universe. You're going to the creator of the world, the king of all kings, and saying, God, I'll serve you if you will do this. Come on, isn't that the same thing? God, I'll serve you. I can't tell you. I'm, listen, as a pastor, I hear everything, like so many things. You, you would be amazed at how many times I have people say, well, I would give, but I just don't have the money to give. On a big gulp. On a cigarette. They have this new toy. They have that new toy. They have all these other things, and you're sitting there going, I don't know if you know how this works. You have money to do this, and you have money to do that, and you have money to do this, but you don't have money to give to the king. I'll give when I get the raise. I'll give or I'll serve. God, I'll get involved in the church when, when, when I get things right at home. You know, and, and it's like, like when I get, when I, when I get our, our house fixed, when I get this done, when I get, and all, everything in our life is full of excuses. We're so full of excuses. And that's why I'm saying this is a would-be follower. God, I'll follow you, but first, things have to happen first. And if you'll help me out with these things, it'll just be that much quicker before you get this guy. He doesn't need me. It is an absolute honor of my life to serve him. He doesn't need me. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He is not doing himself any services of getting a whole bunch of people fired up for this kingdom work. I love it. Because what he's saying is, I'm wanting real followers. I want real disciples. I want people who are real about this, not somebody who's like going to do me a favor if I help them out. He wants real followers, real disciples. So I, I write this. So it made me think of this plow. You know, of course, I don't run a plow, but I used to run track. And when I would race, uh, early on, you know, I would get out ahead of people and they would shoot the, the gun for the final lap, and that's when you always pick up your pace, right? Well, when I'm in, if I'm in first place at that point, I'm not trying to catch anybody anymore. Now I'm just seeing how fast do I have to run to finish. My mom and my sister hated coming to track meets because I'm running. Yeah, he's gaining a little bit, but I don't, I don't want to run real hard. And I would just, how hard do I have to run to beat this guy trying to catch me right here? 
Like, I don't want to just, like, run super hard and, and not, you know, I, like, hey, if I don't have to expend all of my energy, I got another, I got another uh, event later. I need to save a little bit back. And so, you know, as I'm running, I'm trying to figure out how fast do I have. But you know what? Every time I'd look behind, I would slow down and shift. Just like when you're looking at deer in the field when you're driving, you start, oh, yeah, yeah I got to get, uh, I, I love the rumble strips. They're so helpful. And so, but, but isn't that right? So what he's saying is if you are not completely focused on me, you're going to get off track, right? So what happens is I started thinking, wow, this is amazing. So here he gives me a couple of, 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 of items here about being fit for service. The first thing that he, he shares with us is being forward focused. I love Philippians 4.13 and 14. Paul says this, one thing I do. He's like, one thing I do, I forget what's behind me and I strain toward what's ahead of me. You see, Paul said, you know what? I don't have time to worry about the things in the rearview mirror. I'm straining toward what God has me. And what is it? It is toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward. You see, the whole goal of life is heaven, not earth, not your career, not your house, not your horses, not your cows, not your sheep, not hunting. It is heaven. Heaven is the goal. Heaven is the prize. It's what we're called to. You see, when we lose that focus, we get caught up in all of the sidebar stuff of our life. The business, the money, the stuff that is nothing. Heaven is what we're called to. And we're, the one thing that you can take with you is as many people as you can. You're not taking that career. God is not impressed with your career. He's not impressed with how much money you make. He's not impressed with how good at sports you are. I thought I was something. I did. Back in, back in the day, I thought I was something. And I even, when I was called to ministry, I even like, you know what? I'm going to change it all. I mean, I was an idiot. Like, God doesn't need this. He doesn't need this. And it wasn't until I realized that God doesn't need me at all that I'm not God's gift to preaching or God's gift to anything. Guys, I still don't know what I'm doing. Ask anybody. I just love the Lord, and I just want to teach His Word. We all keep showing up, I guess. so I guess, I guess something's happening. All right. The second thing is this total commitment. So he wants you to be completely forward-focused, but he also wants a total commitment. I use this passage on purpose because it says this, anyone who loves their father or more, mother more than me is not worthy. Jesus is not playing a game with discipleship. He says, do you really want to follow me or not? Now, he doesn't say that I, I, I'm not to love them. He says, if you don't, if you, anyone who loves the father or mother more than me is not worthy. He doesn't say don't love them. If you love them more, right? Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The hardest thing was for me to hand my son to the Lord. The hardest thing in my life. But I love God more and I love him most and I know where he's taking him. That was the goal. My goal as a father was to get my kids to heaven. I got one there. So whoever does not pick up their cross and follow me, if you think following Jesus is easy, you're crazy. The moment you got saved, it got hard. Now the devil's after you. I mean, here's the thing. You want an interesting life, be a Christian. 
You know, like, <laughs> there's always something happening. You, you got demons you're battling with. You got, you got every obstacle. You want to talk about a fun, exciting, but terrible, tough time. It's everything. So whoever does not pick up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their, listen to this, whoever, Jesus is, he's, he's not making, this is, this is his campaign slogan. This is what Jesus has got on the billboard. Whoever loses their life, uh, whoever finds their life is going to lose it. Come on in if you want to lose your life. Should we, maybe we should redo our billboard and say, you know what, if you come here, you're going to lose your life. But that's exactly, whoever loses their life, for my sake, is going to find it. You want to find your life? Lose it first. When you lose your life, that's when you find your life. Because Jesus is your life. That's what he's trying to get across. There's, so then I, I'm looking at all this, and I'm sitting here thinking, man, why didn't Jesus just let these men find out for themselves? I mean, that would have been my first slogan. Let's not tell them the total cost on day one. Jesus, these guys are on the road. Maybe what you should do is just kind of let them uh, figure it out on their own. Keep them around for a little while. <laughs> if you just don't say anything, you'll have a few more people to follow you. You'll have a few more people in the seats if you just kind of don't mention that part. Many preachers would, right? But Jesus wanted true followers. Followers that had counted the cost. Okay, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to lose my life. I'm counting that cost. And now, God, I'm willing to pay the price. Then he's like, let's do this. Have you counted the cost of truly following Jesus? And then the second question is, are you willing to pay that price? The process of he showed us is called to follow, appointed to represent, equipped to serve, sent. Last part of this is I want to show you after these would-be followers after they had their stipulations they had their excuses <clears throat> the very next verse is chapter 10 verse 1 a lot of times when we see the end of a chapter we automatically assume that that, that means that it's a whole nother day a whole nother time it says after this after what after he just talked to the would-be followers on the road as they're traveling, they're still traveling, he appointed 72 others. Hey, these three guys didn't, didn't want to really pay that price. 72 others were. 72 others. He appointed 70. So he, he said, hey, why don't you follow me? <laughs> well, I, I do. I want to. I want to, but I, I got some stipulations first. Where are we going tonight? What are we going to have for dinner? So... He appointed 72 and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about to go. All right? Verse 2. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I started looking at this. The harvest is plentiful. What does he mean, the harvest is plentiful? See, he's not talking about wheat now. He's not talking about oats. He's not talking about uh, uh, corn. He, he's talking about souls. He says, look. He sent 72 people out, two by two. You know, they were going to all these different places, so he's, he's sending them out. 
and, and, and all these teams, all these villages, and all, all the towns around where I'm coming, and I need to send you guys out ahead. And he goes, I'm telling you, the harvest is plentiful. Well, you know what? You know we live right smack dab in the middle of the United States. We live right smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt. It ain't the Bible Belt anymore. Did you know that in Missouri, at the very heart of it all, we have now less than 50% of the population of Missouri that actually claim to be Christians. That's not even talking about all the ones that claim it that don't follow it at all. We are no longer a Christian nation. We're no longer a Christian state. You look out and you see two people, chances are one of them's lost. The harvest is plentiful. It is. The harvest is plentiful. What if the 50 or 49% that, that actually claim to be Christians, what if they actually really actually got on mission with God, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and actually worked on getting the other half of the state saved? You know, that would be great, but did you know that only 15 to 20% of Christians who claim to be Christians share their faith to begin with? That's why he says, but the workers are few. The harvest, there's, there's lostness everywhere. There's needs everywhere. There is, there is hope needed everywhere. There is so many people hurting. There is so much lostness. There's so much needs. There's so many people hurting. It's everywhere. But who am I going to send out? Right? If you're going to be a true disciple of Christ, there's a point in your life where you're going to have to say, here I am, send me. Send me to my neighbor across the road. Send me to my family members in my own house. Send me. Send me. Here I am. Send me. Lord, I'll share my, I'm going to start sharing my faith. I almost got fired at Pizza Hut in high school like 20 times because I wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. And I wasn't even that serious about Jesus yet in my life. I mean, I loved him, but I still like talking about him, but I wasn't like I am now. I'm sitting there going, man, I don't think I would last anywhere very long. Be like, would you like a pizza? Here, an invitation to the church. We love you guys. Do you know Jesus? Would you like some cheese? I'll put some extra cheese on there for you. Like, Daniel, you're done talking to people. You're in the dishes. Hey, pizza guy with the pepperonis, do you know who Jesus is? He likes pepperoni too. I mean, we act like we're more worried about getting fired than the kingdom of God. We're more worried about somebody being mad at us. Ask Jared. He got mad at me all the time because I wouldn't stop witnessing to him. I got him in a boat where he couldn't get away from me. You're not going nowhere. And I know that you're scared of water, and I've told you that there's three snakes around the boat, so I know you're not going nowhere, buddy. We're going to talk about Jesus and what it takes to get to heaven. So here's the thing is what I'm asking. I'm telling you, this is what the Lord says. He says the harvest is plentiful. It's still plentiful today. But the workers are few. The workers are few. That's us. People in church, right now the growing statistic, I was doing a little bit of research on some of this with Barna this morning. Barna was saying that now people who are getting saved in the in this part, in the last few years, no longer feel like it's even their responsibility to share their faith. 
It's not my responsibility. That's what the pastor's paid for. That's what other missionaries do. That's not our part. God, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, that's why this nation is no longer a Christian nation. Guys, this was built on Christianity. For so long, it was all a Christian nation. And we were the majority. Now we are the minority. Why? Because the workers are few. Because we're, so, we're, we're, we're allowing fear to stop us from sharing faith. We're so worried about rejection that we don't tell them the best thing that ever happened to us. Or maybe we're not really even following the Lord at all and we don't even know that He's the best thing that ever happened to us. How can I share the best thing that ever happened to me if I'm not even believing it myself? Billy Graham said that he believed that there's only 25% or 25% of any people gathering in on a Sunday service is actually says one out of every four people sitting in a church service on any given Sunday is not really saved or they think they are but they aren't. They know it up here. Guys, they believe that Jesus son of God just believing that does not make you saved. Jesus wasn't looking for fans. He was looking for real followers. And he didn't play any games with any of them. He told them the truth. The truth is what sets us free.